0: whether he is a bondservant or is free. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as you uh, get your seats here, let me pray. Father, thank you for um, gathering us together here this morning. I pray that in the next 35 or 40 minutes, um, our attention would be on you and your word and what you might have to say to us this morning. Help us to lean in and listen and receive the word humbly implanted in our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit, your spirit would be active in our midst, maybe bringing conviction, um, bringing clarity, bringing insight and understanding so that we would know about what it means to follow Jesus Wherever we go, especially in in our workplaces, would you help us? I pray to make the connections in our hearts between Jesus and all that we do. We pray these things in His blessed name, Amen. Well, we've been in a series now for four weeks. Uh, It's called "We Are Christ City." And uh, if you are a visitor with us this morning, or you've missed any of those messages, can I encourage you to go to our website, ChristCityChurch.ca, and just go to the Kits button there, and then up at the top, there's a little button called Sermons. Go there and listen to these messages. These are important messages, because it's a way of bringing us all together, to help us all to get on the same page, and to pull in the same direction as a church, This is about our our mission, our vision, our values as a church. These are the ways, uh, this is what's directing all that we do. And so give those a listen. Um, This morning, I've decided to add a fifth message. Um, I just felt that in light of something that Brant brought last week, that we just needed to take one more step together. Last week, Brant talked about the role of the church in making disciples. That's absolutely crucial. We have to understand that. But what I wanted to do is take one more step and say, okay, but what does it mean to be disciples of Jesus in our workplace? What does it mean to follow Jesus in our work? So that's that's the question um, I want to try and answer or begin to answer with you this morning. How does our faith in Jesus, relate to our work on Monday morning. Monday morning's my day off, so Tuesday. (laughs) Now, consider this. Over your lifetime, a conservative estimate is that you're going to spend 90,000 hours at work. (laughs) Yeah, scary. Um, And that's yeah, I don't know. Maybe, I think that's an average. So, but consider this. 90,000 hours at work for the average person. Now, that means that, that work is a pretty central part of your life. But our faith is absolutely central as well, right? So, so the question is, how do I bring my faith to work? How do I live out my faith at work? See, we must not... Underline this, we must not separate our faith in Christ from our work. That mustn't happen. We need to know how they come together and how our faith in Jesus influences and informs and shapes and directs what we do and how we do it. So is that all clear? This is where we're going this morning. The 20th century missiologist Leslie Newbigin said that the primary action of the church in the world is the action of its members in their daily work. So because this is a a vast subject, I'm going to be painting with a pretty big brush this morning. I'll just be sketching out some of the, the big themes that I think we should speak about. But if you'd like to go deeper, and I encourage you to go deeper, let me recommend to you two books. Um, One is by Tim Keller. It's called Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to God's Work. And the other one is by Amy Sherman. It's a book called Kingdom Calling, Vocational Stewardship for the Common Good. So either of those two books, I would recommend picking up and doing a deeper dive on the subject of how our faith relates to our work. Uh, but this morning we're going to go, and we've got a lot to cover, so let me give you my three points right up front, and you can follow along. Here's my three points. First of all, the goodness of our work. Second of all, the frustration of our work. And thirdly, the redemption of our work. Those are my three points. Let's jump in. Let's begin by looking at the goodness of our work. If we were to go to the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, we would see there that work is actually an important part of fulfilling God's purpose for us and for His world, for His creation. So if you go to Genesis 1, to 28, the slide will be up there behind me. This is what it says. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Human beings, as male and female, are uniquely created in the image and the likeness of God. That is one of the most important things we can know. We are, as male and female, human beings, we are created uniquely in the image and likeness of God. So much of that flows out of that you could fill libraries with books. Now, a big part of how we are to reflect or image God in this world as His image bearers, we reflect or we image the God who made us, a big part of that is being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it. That's what Genesis 1 tells us. If you noticed in this text, that idea of subduing the earth, it's followed immediately by this statement in verse 28, where God says, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This whole section is what theologians call the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate. It was given by God at the beginning, and this mandate involves all of us, every one of us as human beings, in the work of cultivating the creation. We're to cultivate the creation in order to develop its potential for human flourishing and ultimately for God's glory. That's, that's an important part of what it means to be a human being. So when we talk about being a human being and being made in the image of God, that's not just saying who we are, but that's also telling us what we're called to do in order to be fully human. Work is an expression of our full humanity. In that way, we are like God. God worked in the beginning to form and to fill the, the whole created order. And we come along and work under his authority in order to make the most of his creation. It's an important part of what it means to be a human being. In her book, Total Truth, Nancy Piercy writes this, The lesson of the cultural mandate is that our sense of fulfillment depends on engaging in creative, constructive work. The ideal human existence is not eternal leisure or an endless vacation or a monastic retreat from into prayer and meditation, but creative effort expended for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. Our calling is not just to go to heaven, but also to cultivate the earth. Not just to save souls, but also to to serve God through our work. For God himself is engaged not only in the work of salvation, but also in the work of preserving and developing his creation. When we obey the cultural mandate, we participate in the work of God himself. So according to Genesis, work is not bad. Work is not something, it's not a necessary evil that we just have to endure until we either win the lottery or retire. That's not what work is. According to Genesis 1, work is good. According to Genesis 1, work is a gift from God. Work is a gift from God whereby we get, we get to participate in what God is doing in His world. He works through us in order to accomplish His purposes for His creation. Now let me ask you this morning, how many of you view work in this way? Is that the way you're thinking about Monday morning, the commute? I can't wait to be involved in what God is doing in His creation. No, (laughs) I thought that might fall flat. I realize it might be difficult for some of us to get our minds around this way of looking at our work, of this way of thinking about our work. I recognize that. Work can be frustrating. Look, I love what I do, but it's not without its frustrations. I mean, I work with Brent. No. <laughs> Sorry, Brent, you were just sitting right there. I had to take that. Um, <laughs> Work has its frustrations. Work, work is unfulfilling at times, isn't it? Work can often leave us feeling very discouraged and deeply disappointed. And, and here's the thing. Even if you do get your dream job, you know that one that you stay up at night thinking about? Even if you do get that job, just give it a couple of years. You will learn, I promise you, that that job will not give you what you hoped it would give you i promise you that so that leads we've talked about the goodness of our work but that definitely leads into the frustration of our work doesn't it see according to genesis 1 our work is an important expression of what it means to be created in the image of god it's good But according to Genesis 3, here's the kicker, God Himself, God Himself has frustrated our efforts to fulfill the work that He has given us to do. Why? Why would God frustrate and make difficult the very thing that only two chapters earlier He called us to do? Good question, right? Got you on the edge of your seats. Well, the short answer to that is because of the rebellion and the disobedience of our first parents. See, Adam and Eve, instead of submitting to the authority of God, Adam and Eve wanted to establish their own authority. They wanted to establish their own independence from God. That's the heart of the human problem right there, in a nutshell. They ate of the tree that God commanded them not to eat of. And the rest, as they say, is history. This is what theologians call the fall. It's very important that we not only understand the creation, what it means to be made in His image, but we also understand this event, the fall, because we're all implicated in this. I'll explain that in a second. So as a result of trying to establish their own independence apart from God and under His authority, as a result of that, in Genesis 3.16, it tells us that instead of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it, Genesis 3 tells us that the woman will now experience increased pain in childbearing and that there is now going to be a conflict in your marriage. Married couples, if you want to understand what's going on in your marriage, pay attention to Genesis 3.16. This is where it all began. The sin problem. It's an autonomy from God problem. a An independence from God problem. That's where it all began. But then in Genesis 3.17 and 18, here's what the Lord says to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. This is the ground that Adam was supposed to cultivate. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So from this point onward down to today, and I suggest it will be the same tomorrow on Monday morning, work has never been the same. See, work itself is not a curse. We saw in Genesis 1, it's good. But Genesis 3 teaches that the work that we do along with every other aspect of our lives is now affected by the fall, by the curse. Here's what philosopher Al Walters says. Adam and Eve's fall into sin was not just an isolated act of disobedience, but an event of catastrophic significance for creation as a whole. The effects of sin touch all of creation. No created thing is in principle untouched by the corrosive effects of the fall. Frustration, Futility, inefficiency, boredom, disappointment, and ultimately death itself. These are the things that we must face every day in our workaday life. These are things that we must face and understand every day as we, we get on the skytrain to go downtown or wherever you go. You have to take this into account. Now, because work is good, and also because of what I said about Genesis 3, that work is is also frustrated by the fall and the curse, because of these things, many of us move back and forth between idealism on the one hand and cynicism on the other. Anybody? Have you ever been there? Yeah. Idealism on the one hand. Oh, work is great. It's awesome. I can't wait. And then cynicism. I'd rather do anything else. Shoot me. <laughs> See, sometimes, here's the thing. Sometimes we, we look to our work In order to give us that deep sense of meaning and value and worth and significance. I am going to prove that I am a worthy human being. Just watch me work. Thought that would get a chuckle. (laughs) On the other hand. On the other hand. Our work can make us just so disillusioned. So fed up. So sick and tired that it almost feels like a form of torture. Hey, look, I'm speaking from experience here. I worked in a box factory in a night shift in Cambridge, Ontario years ago. Not fun! (laughs) It can feel like a form of cruelty. Perhaps some of you have felt the way the author of Ecclesiastes describes work in chapter 2, verses 22 to 23. Here's what he says. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Cheerful stuff now, fortunately, later on, later on, the author of Ecclesiastes asked, does have a much a much more balanced and and wise view of work that he commends to us, because in chapter five verses eighteen to twenty, this is what he says: "This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat." to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life Because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. See, so much of how we look at our work is determined by what we believe about life and the world around us. Yes, work is often frustrating because of the fall and its effects, but... Don't forget this, but much more foundationally, before the fall ever happened, God gave us work as a gift. God God tells us in His Word that, that work is good. It's an important part of what it means to be made in His image and reflect His glory. It's an important part of loving our neighbors and loving Him. So nothing causes us to experience those extremes I described of idealism and cynicism. Nothing causes us to experience those extremes more than when we forget that fact, what I just said. See, when we forget that that work is good, but work is fallen, when we forget this truth, this dual truth that the Bible teaches us, what do we do? You know what we do most of us? We make work primarily about ourselves, and when we make our work primarily about ourselves, let me just say selfishness is a really um, a really bad basis for a a faithful, productive, joyful work it 's not going to happen you won 't have meaningful work. For 90,000 hours if you make it all about you. It won't happen. Rather, it is God who has provided purpose in our work. It is God who has called us to work in order to, to serve others by developing His creation. In order that our neighbors would flourish And live into more fully what it means for them to be made in God's image. Here's what Tim Keller writes. We are not to choose jobs and conduct our work to fulfill ourselves and accrue power. For being called by God to do something is empowering enough. We are to seek work as a way of service to God and our neighbor. And so we should both choose and conduct our work in accordance with that purpose. So let me just check in with you again and ask you, how are you you viewing your work? Is it shifting a little bit? Or is the frustration of the fall blinding you to the God-given goodness and purposeness of your work? Check your heart there. Or perhaps on the other side, Uh, perhaps you are expecting more from your work than it can possibly or reasonably or realistically ever give you. See, when it comes to understanding a work, like I said, we've got to hold together these truths, these twin truths. It's created, it's purposeful, it's good, but it's fallen. The thorns and the thistles have grown up we're going to sweat. We're going to cry. We're going to get cut and bruised. Because it's frustrating to do God's work in a profoundly fallen and broken world. And that's, that's everyone's experience. That's not just you with your boss doing that crazy job that he's got you doing. That's everybody's universal experience everywhere. So that leads me to my third point. The redemption of our work. And that leads us back to the passage that Emelina read for us this morning. Look again at Ephesians six, five to eight. All of that was just introduction. ha, <laughs> joke. Here's what it says. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not By the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So what Paul's doing here in Ephesians 6, he's, he's writing to the, the, the churches in and around the city of Ephesus, and he's, he's speaking directly to bond servants or slaves in the church, Christian slaves that are in this early church in and around Ephesus. And so before we really look into what this text might teach us about our work, we have to address the elephant in the room. We have to talk about slavery, just briefly. Let me just say this very clearly. Unlike, completely unlike, the, the, the sort of slavery that was practiced in the United States in the 18th and 19th centuries, slavery in the ancient Roman world was not based on race. It did not involve kidnapping people from one country and transporting them to another. And it was seldom lifelong. Those are some things we need to know about the difference between slavery, that, the slavery that comes to our minds when we think about it, and the slavery that the Bible is talking about. See, at that time, in the Roman world, slavery was more um, like what we might call indentured servitude. Furthermore, it's important for us to note that the New Testament, apart from what some people say, the New Testament never promotes slavery. Okay? In fact, in 1 Corinthians 7.21, Paul encourages slaves to gain their freedom if they have the opportunity. He encourages them to get their freedom. However given the fact that slavery in the ancient Roman world was very, very prevalent, Paul lays out some guidelines for the slave. See, the church was in no position whatsoever to radically change the structures of Roman civilization. They were an exiled, persecuted people living on the margins of the Roman Empire. And so... You know, Paul doesn't say, take up swords and guns and bombs and, you know, go at it. He, the the Christian faith has never abdicated revolution. Christian faith is revolutionary, but Christians should never be revolutionaries. Okay? Talk to me later about that. (laughs) Um, But Paul here is addressing slaves in the church in Ephesus who have become Christians. And he knows this is a tough place to be. So he gives them this counsel. Now, I would suggest to you, if this is the counsel that Paul gives to slaves in the church, how much more so is this helpful counsel for us who maybe are working for a little less money than we like, with a little less agreeable boss than we'd like, you know, who's a little bit more commuting than we like or whatever you want to fill in the blank with. How much more so does this counsel, does this uh, speak to us in our situations? This speaks to us as workers, as employees, sometimes as employers. So let me share with you three things from this text. First, all our work is for the Lord. Look again at verses 5 and 6. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling as bondservants of Christ. So your tax return may say that you work for the Vancouver School Board, or it may say that you work for St. Paul's Hospital, or it, it may say that you work for the city of Vancouver, or the government of Canada, or it may say that you even work for yourself. Perhaps you're an entrepreneur. But let me just say, the Bible says that you work for the Lord. The Bible says that first and foremost, we are bond servants of Christ. If you're a Christian here this morning, you have been bought and paid for with the precious blood of God's beloved Son. He died for you. And now you belong to him. And that is good news. <laughs> because formerly, we were, we were under the domain of darkness. Formerly, we belong to the other guy. You know the old Dylan song, you've got to serve someone? You're either going to serve the bad guy, or you're going to serve the Lord of Lords. The King of Kings. And Christ came into the world, as, as Colossians 1 says, to transfer us, to take us out of that domain of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of God's own beloved Son. We belong to Him now. We are bond servants of Jesus Christ. And He died to set us free from the slavery of selfishness and sin and to set us free to do the work that brings glory to our Father who is in heaven. So, everything we do, all that you do, whether you're working in the home, Or you're working at school or on the job site or you're working behind a desk in one of those little cubicles like from the office. Boy, you guys. Everything you do is, is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you're a bondservant. You're a slave of Christ. And that's freedom. Here's the thing. The Bible... The Bible does not divide your life up into the secular and the sacred. That is not Bible. Christ is Lord just as much as when you're going into your workplace on Monday, or you're doing the dishes at home, or you're going on vacation, or you're watching Netflix. He's Lord just as much over all of that as when we are gathered here together on Sunday morning in His name. It's important to remember. There's no secular and sacred divide. So Paul says, if you're an employee, if you're going to work tomorrow and maybe you are not warm and fuzzy about your boss... Paul says, obey your boss with fear and trembling, not because your boss can threaten you or dock your pay or cut your hours or even fire you, not because of that, but because you are a bondservant of Christ. That's why we obey. Yes, Jesus Jesus is our gracious and merciful Savior, but let me add, He is also our judge. We mustn't presume upon the grace of Christ. We mustn't think that He doesn't care about how we do our work. He most definitely does. Let me ask you, would you work differently if you went into your work and your boss was with you all day, every day, watching you? I bet. Well, think of Jesus. Think of the Lord. He knows every thought. Every motive, every desire, every word, every deed. Nothing gets past him. We can't pull the wool over his eyes. We, you know, we can't, he doesn't come around the cubicle and we, we turn off the, the solitaire game that we we're playing and pretend we're doing a spreadsheet. That doesn't work with Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what Paul is saying. We must, if you call yourself a Christian, if you are a bondservant of Christ, you must take Jesus Christ seriously in your work. Here's what Colossians 3.23 says. It says, whatever you do, whatever it is, work heartily as for the Lord. So first of all, all of our work is for the Lord. Second, the standard of our work is heartfelt service. Look again at verses 5 and 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with sincerity of heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but doing the will of God from the heart. Now, when some people hear about doing the will of God, they get all jacked up, and they think, great, we get to work hard, we get to achieve as much as possible, we're going to change the world. And and for some people, they're just high achievers, and bless them. And and this idea of putting their whole self into the work means that they work 80-hour weeks and, and they're just always thinking about their work and it's all about pushing the productivity. But here's what I would say. People that work with all their heart in that way, often their heart is more in love with money or recognition or control or power or just themselves. I, Jesus doesn't work us like that. There is, there is a a busyness in work in this modern world that is not, does not honor Jesus Christ. I am not saying to anybody, put in more hours, um, you know, work till you drop. I love reading the Gospels. I never get the sense in reading the Gospels that Jesus is ever, you know, stressed out, harried, in a rush, you know, can't fulfill his to-do list. You know, he's just, Boy, I want that kind of composure. Now, nobody did greater work than Jesus. I want that kind of composure in my work. Well, this is important. Christians should look at their work very, very differently. When we work from the heart, we work out of our passion for Jesus Christ. That's what it means to work from the heart. We work out of our passion for, our devotion to, our commitment to Jesus Christ. We mustn't become preoccupied and obsessed with all the things that we are going to achieve in this world through our work. That's a dead end. As Paul says in Philippians 3, We must be prepared to count everything as loss. Everything, meaning our paycheck, our promotion, our prestige, we must be willing to count. Everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. We've got to be willing to, for His sake, be willing to suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, he says, in order that we may gain Christ. Here's how one pastor puts it. We... Never have to fake joy in our jobs because our joy does not come from our jobs. We work from full hearts instead of striving to fill our hearts. That kind of heart, not mere excellence, is what makes our work distinctively Christian. It doesn't mean we shouldn't work to a high standard, we should. But excellence in our work should be done for the sake of Christ our Savior. So first, all our work is for the Lord. Second, the standard of our work is heartfelt service. Third, the reward of our work is eternal. Look at verse 5 and verse 8. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. See, we mustn't think about our work primarily in terms of what we are going to get out of it in this life. All of us must take eternity into account. Yeah, we need to earn a living. I understand that. We we, we want to make this world a better place. I, I get it. Absolutely. We should be 100% committed to that. But we also have to look beyond those goals because we might not ever make much more than a, a living wage. We might have to scrape by and we might not really make anything better. We will try, but there are no guarantees. And sometimes people that try to make the world better actually end up making it worse in some ways. Tragedy. We've got to look beyond these goals that we have for our life in this world We've got to listen to Jesus and what he says in Matthew 6:19 to 21. He says, "Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." See, the Lord is never going to be impressed with your many promotions and your ever larger paychecks. We're not going to show that to Jesus on the day of judgment. He will not care. All of the checks will bounce. But here's what we need to do. We need to work and to wait patiently and persistently and hopefully and prayerfully and faithfully. We need to wait and work for the reward that He will give us at the end of the age. Our labor in the Lord is never in vain. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't look for a better job. I'm not saying that you shouldn't try and get a job that it maybe makes a fuller and better use of your, your gifts and capabilities. I'm not saying that. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we shouldn't even look for a job that maybe gives us greater job satisfaction. But what I am saying is that you shouldn't You shouldn't make your life all about finding your dream job because it might not come. That dream job, that door of opportunity that you've been hoping for, working for, training for, it may not happen. For many, it doesn't happen. What if you have to wait years or decades or maybe for your whole life before that door opens up to you? So let me close with this. What is the secret? You knew I'd have a secret here. It's all about secrets. No, it's not. Um, what is the secret of job satisfaction in your work? The work that you're presently doing. The work that you're going to go to on Monday morning. The answer, I think, is found in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul says, I have learned in whatever job I have. You notice that I put that in there for you. I have learned in whatever job I have to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. See, that's not about football. It's about being content. When you have to work at a job that just isn't your thing, for a boss that maybe doesn't like you. See, Paul knew how to be content because, here's the key, he knew the surpassing greatness and worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. We must do our work for him with all of our hearts, And we must work for the reward that He will ultimately give us at the end of the age. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you help us? Help us to think about work. Our work. Whatever we're going to spend 90,000 hours of our lives doing. Help us to think about it with your mind. With the mind of Christ Himself. To know it's a great thing, it's a good thing, it's part of what it means to be made in your image. But to know also that it is frustrating because of the fall. And yet in Christ we're free. We're free from the idols of success and uh, stuff and just getting bigger houses and better cars and more money. Lord, we're free from all the stuff that makes it all about us. We're free to work for you, for your glory. Help us to be a faithful, humble people that are looking for the great reward that you will give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to stand with me as we respond to God's word. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.